Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Thursday, July 22nd, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my neighbor Max. How's it going, my friend? A little sleepier than usual. Had a rare for myself these days in the summer, 6.30 a.m. wake up. I seem to have retained my exam habits where I can't really take it seriously until the last moment the pressure's on. This time for a job interview, not an exam, but the most productive I'd been in prepping for the interview all morning. And in terms of having my research ready, at least that paid off. Very nice. Very nice. That is a an early wake up. I, I do not recall the uh, last time I had to wake up so early. Um, it has been a while, but that's good. It, if you can get up, I always find I'm more productive in the morning. So it's definitely pays off if you can do it once in a while. It's, it's always a wild feeling for it to be 8, 15 AM. I've showered, I've shaved, I'm sipping my coffee. I'm looking through the stuff I have to do, starting to get ideas of what I'm going to do, even getting a little of that done and realizing Ah, normally I'd just be kind of rolling in my bed trying to force myself out right now. So that always feels nice, although I can't say if it's worth it right now. It does feel productive, and I guess only time will tell. But um, we have our fingers crossed, both of us here. That would be a, a really cool opportunity for you. Um, since we last spoke, not nothing much exciting for me. I, uh, I, I went into the office for the first time yesterday, which was really cool. Um, I got to see a couple people and then, uh, I biked to and from work. And when I got home, uh, some friends invited me to go play some basketball over at the park and, uh, near the end of that, having not eaten, it was a warm weather. Um, my quads like almost blew up on me. <laughs> big cramps, which I hadn't had in a long time. Um, And while I was in severe agony, part of me was appreciative of it because it had been so long since I had had like a full day where you just, it it felt so normal. Um, And and I guess I had to take a small positive out of that because I've definitely missed being able to have a full day, go home, do something you really enjoy. um, And, and, It took immense agony for me to realize that. Yeah, that's about as normal a day as I've heard in a while. So congrats on that and a little jealous on the basketball. Yeah, nothing exciting for me. My my basketball game is all right. I just, I miss out on some length, man, and some size. That's that's truly the downfall. Um, Also, if I can't shoot at a very high level, that it, like the, the height is even more of a problem. So I'm just, just an average player out there. Nothing too exciting, but we're going to make the not so subtle turn and transition here from my basketball game to much higher level of basketball. The NBA finals will be the lead topic of today's show. Of course, uh, with the Milwaukee bucks claiming their first NBA championship in 50 years. Um, really exciting stuff. Some great scenes out of the parade today. PJ Tucker looking like uh, how Marcus Gasol was feeling during that Toronto parade. Uh, Giannis has just had some awesome moments <laughs> in the 48 hours after. Um, he's a funny dude, man. Uh, we'll follow that up 
with some combat corner uh football fan cave quick notes and and a little bit of talk in hockey of course our reactions from the expansion draft that happened yesterday um yeah lots to get to but at the same time a little bit less than we normally see as things are starting to wind down heading into the off seasons um and then august is usually a pretty slow month for most sports um but until then we will bask in in the big week that we've had it and and of course the upcoming olympics really exciting stuff but uh max i guess i will throw it over to you to kick things off um with what you want to talk about following game six of the nba finals bit of a blessing having less on today's particular show sometimes less is more it does really let us focus on the nba finals game six that saw the bucks beat the Suns and win the championship off the back of one of the most impressive finals performances of all time or up there. And I actually want to start by asking you a question. If I had told you at the start of this series, which of the following two statements would you have found harder to believe? Giannis is going to hit get 50 points in a finals game or Giannis is going to go 17 of 19 shooting free throws? Uh well, so that's funny. Um, I would definitely go with the free throws, of course. That is because of the fact that he, well, he was injured, right? Coming into the finals. So yeah. we didn't even know if he could play. And of course he came out and was just out of this world, superhuman for all six of those games. Um, but you you saw that the Phoenix did have some weak front court players and just not the same amount of shot size. And if you're throwing eight at Giannis constantly, he's going to get worn down when he's playing 40 plus minutes a night, trying to defend Giannis. It's just, that's what ended up happening in this series. Giannis just never stops. It seems like and Aiton just, he did a good job up until a certain point, but then he ran out of gas. And so the free throw thing, of course, is much more surprising to me when Giannis was, First entering the league, he actually was a decent free throw shooter. Um, and I think that's partially because of of just the fluidity of his size at that point. And then he grew three inches. He put on a ton of muscle, a ton of uh, size. And I think that actually made it more difficult for him to shoot. Like, of course, like you see the Shaq, you see the Dwight Howard, those guys with extremely large hands usually have difficult uh, difficulty shooting free throws. Um but he was able to turn back the clock and, and it really shows the mentality that he has is that even he can have this entire thing that people constantly berate him for tease him. Uh, he's getting roasted by the media and then he'll come out and he'll say, no, I'm tonight. My team needs this. I'm going to drop 17 of 19 from the free throw line. I was really, really impressed with him. And um, that definitely was a surprise, but at the same time, you followed this guy's whole career like it's just another thing for him that he's able to climb an extra piece of that mountain and and establish himself as a guy who comes through it has one of those legendary qualities to it and adds so much to the performance i mean how often do you see a player kind of single-handedly win a game with the most verbally constantly criticized part of their game their supposed weakness like i can't really think of any parallels to that ever and i know you said 50 points is more surprising but i mean he was so gassed getting as many points as he did in the paint defending as such 
it's too exhausting for him. There's no chance he's ever getting 25 field goals in the paint while playing defense that hard. So it was a trick question, actually. The two are inseparable, and he could have shot 9 of 17. That would have been a pretty familiar stat line for his free throws numbers, and that would have been a loss for the Milwaukee Bucks. So I don't think it's hyperbole at all to say his free throw shooting won them the game, and that may... I mean, he did so many amazing things. I don't want to just focus on the free throws too much, but the fact that offensively, statistically, you can literally say he won the game with the weakest part of his game is so amazing. But what else do you think there is? I mean, the defense for sure, five blocks. Yeah. And all of them like 100% effort. He had that one in the uh, late in, in the game where, uh, it just he just missed the block um, on Devin Booker, and he had one that was a goaltend. Yeah. So, but everything was max effort, like spectacular blocks from him, and he gave it everything he had. Uh, it was truly, truly special, and a little bit of everything where he had to carry his team for stretches of that game through seven and a half minutes, I believe, in the second quarter. Milwaukee had four points in the quarter. And there was a stretch where they went, I think they were, the team was one of 15 on non Giannis shots. And he just continually either found his way to the free throw line or was bullying his way in the paint. I think he only hit one three in the game. Um, It was, he just, he knew what he had to do. He had some things figured out. This playoff run was really important for him. He's had his playoff scars and now moments that tested him. He was able to figure it out and move on. And it, it's a great accomplishment for him. And, and at a, such a young age as well, to be able to do it younger than a lot of the, the top greats getting their first title. Um, yeah, there's a, we could go on and on about Giannis. He's, he was awesome. Yeah, uh, we can move on now to the rest of the team. I'll just praise Giannis a little more. I think... The key difference down the stretch, the last 10 minutes of that fourth quarter, is the Bucks' other four players actually, for the most part, did step up. Uh, Portis having big moments, mid-range floaters, Middleton getting it going offensively, more on that. Even Pat Connaughton had a huge play somewhere in there where he got an offensive rebound to keep the play alive for the Bucks, run the clock a little more, and I think they did get a bucket off that second chance point. Also, I think hit a nice three, whereas the Suns went cold down the stretch. Uh, Johnson, Crowder, Payne, guys who had been pretty consistent for them this whole playoff runs just were missing some fairly open shots, couldn't quite create their own offense. And I think <laughs> last time for a bit, I'll return to Giannis, but that effort, that intensity that he brought, that determination to just drag his team with him. I, we have to label it an intangible that helped raise the level of the team. Yeah, it, it was great. And he got guys who dug in there with him, um, especially defensively, right? Middleton, Holiday, nothing really that spectacular on the offensive side in this game. Uh, but one team that this Bucks team brought through the entire playoffs was defensive consistency. And that carried them through a lot of those stretches. And, and that is... Um, a true mark of a champion is the defense will hang in there consistently when the offense decides to, when it struggles or when just shots aren't falling. And 
that was something that they did really well. And on the other side for Phoenix, Devin Booker, who has been inconsistent throughout the playoffs, he had two back-to-back 40-point games. He just he didn't have it in the same way tonight. And Chris Paul, again, he's a solid guy, but he he just never found that that game six against the LA Clippers in this series. And we're going to find out that he's injured at some point. Most of these guys probably have been playing through an injury of some sorts, uh, but it just they couldn't find that next guy to help out. And it does shine a bit of a spotlight on the things you worry about for Phoenix, the things that had been worries for Phoenix and, and things you'll worry about for next season is you've got Paul and Booker, but can you truly win a title when your two best guys are six, four and under and rely so much on incredible shot making like Aiton was really, really great all the way through until this finals where he just ran out of gas trying to defend the best player in the series over and over again. But um, yeah, it, it is a worry for Phoenix. They definitely got to get some more center depth and they might need uh, either one of their guys to take another step in their development or find a third uh, creator that, that can complement Booker and Paul. I mean, we are just praising Giannis for winning a ring as so young, and he's, what, 27 in his eighth season in the NBA? I think he's 26. Okay. Aiton's 22 and in his third season, and this was his first playoff appearance. So I think that's way premature, uh, and this is going to be a huge learning and growth experience for him, and you love everything that he showed and have no reason to think he can't work on what needs to be addressed the i don't know if that's conditioning a little more consistency defensively i maybe that eventually turns into shot creation who knows i think chris paul has brought some things to this team some maturity composure ability to play the right pace of game obviously sometimes a fantastic shot creator from the mid-range and playmaker but i think the former effects much greater on the bigger picture than the smaller so if he begins to wane or he steps out in a year and booker continues where he is as this like kobe-esque shot maker at his best and you i really liked what i saw from campaign this playoff run so i don't have too much of a problem imagining him in a starting role on this team that as like a two-headed ball handling hydra between him and Booker. If I'm a Suns fan, I'm pretty optimistic. You just got beat by a legendary player this year. Yeah. And and legendary is a great word because with this title, Giannis becomes one of three players in NBA history to have won uh, the MVP, the defensive player of the year, and a finals MVP. And he is the first player in NBA history to have those plus a most improved player trophy. Um, The collection is full and he is on a trajectory now to end up as one of those top 20, top 15 players at all of all time, winning at a relatively young age, doing what he's been doing already a two time MVP, already a defensive player of the year. The resume is already loaded and he's not going anywhere people still believe there's more that he can add to his game, right? The the next step in his evolution is almost like that LeBron where he can get the ball almost anywhere on the court 
and diagnose a defense and break it down at, at his pace. And we saw it in, in this very LeBronian, whenever, whenever he decided to get to the basket, he was either scoring, drawing a foul or finding an open shooter. And when he decides to do that, he's virtually unstoppable teams didn't wall up the same way. And if they were doing so, then Milwaukee was making the adjustments to get him a little bit more space, a little bit more runway, a little bit more, uh, again, space to, to see how the defense is reacting, how people are moving on the offensive side. Um, and just the more playoff reps he gets, the more he's going to ascend his level of basketball IQ and, and what's happening. Cause again, he's done this now, but he started playing basketball at a much older age than a lot of the truly um, amazing legendary players of the game. So I, I still think there's room for him to grow and he's going to be the guy now in this league for many, many years to come. And what I just want to talk about now is like what that means for the league now, right? There's always in every sport teams make adjustments based on who was the champion that season. And I think there's similar adjustments that have to be made between this year's Bucks team and last year's Lakers team. Size is as important as ever in the NBA where uh, the league seemingly is going towards shooting threes, um, perimeter-based skill players, which tend to be a little bit smaller. But now you're looking at the last two champions, I guess even three if you include the Raptors, had some pretty decent veteran size um, and, and a creator who played solid on both sides of the floor I guess in LeBron's case he's he is a great defender when he is always engaged but you could even put that on Anthony Davis as the game-changing defender Kawhi Leonard as the game-changing defender and then Giannis as your game-changing defender that is those are kind of the marks of the past three championship teams so I'm just interesting to see how do you think that might affect the league moving forward interesting uh I hadn't given too much thought to that angle it you do wonder, I think, until like a Nick Nurse-led defense team goes up against Giannis in the playoffs, that'll be a question. I mean, you did see them smash through the heat in the first round who had been able to handle playoff Giannis previously. So if it's a question of Giannis having elevated his game or the Suns just not being able to put out the size and the game plan to stop him. Uh, but... I think the main point you raise is just the number of excellent things a team needs to do to win an NBA championship, which is, I don't know how many teams you can say right now currently have all those things you listed. Yeah. And it's funny, right? Uh, we'll go through this off season and, and everyone has Giannis coronated right now, but I feel like by the time the next season starts, everyone's going to be looking towards LA to Brooklyn to Golden State as those teams. It's just, that's been the story with Milwaukee. It's a small town team that now has had this incredible moment that will hopefully influence the NBA for years to come in terms of guys staying in one market, in terms of guys committing to the team, committing to the process and not just chasing rings other places. But at the end of the day, uh, People love to look for the flaws in players and, and a little bit of time to let the uh, overreactions fade away. You'll see, okay, Giannis is great, but did Phoenix really have the best guy 
because we saw the most success you have against Giannis is you have a lengthy mobile defender at the top meeting him at the point of attack rather than a DeAndre Aiden because then you have a paint protector in the paint there a lot of size to meet him and you're walling him off and not letting his momentum get going Phoenix couldn't stop him from doing that um and given Milwaukee gave him lots of runway to do so but just I, I don't think Phoenix was designed to stop a guy like Giannis. And so maybe he might run into some teams that are a little bit more designed to stop him next season, especially with now him being uh, the reigning champion. Um, so looking forward to that, but for now I'm jumping too far ahead. We got to give Milwaukee it's props. Uh, congratulations to the fans there. That's awesome. Uh, I know they were heartbroken when we snatched their souls two seasons ago <laughs> Um, but definitely happy for them that they made it back and it couldn't have happened to a better superstar and a guy who truly committed to the season. It's, it's really special. So I hope they enjoy that. Yeah. The him winning the title, the year he signs the max contract extension with the team that drafted him is it feels like Christmas came early for me as a NBA fan. And you've got to hope this puts all the right chips on all the right shoulders. Uh, a lot of fun on NBA Reddit dissecting KD's Twitter since Giannis's uh, one press conference about doing it the hardest way and kind of mocking super teams. One last tidbit. What advice would you give to Devin Booker, who is currently on a private plane that consists of him, Chris Middleton, and Drew Holiday? <laughs> They're going thought... to Tokyo right now. Just them. Three. Wow. How awkward is that? <laughs> I did you see the clip of him just saying like damn with one minute left? No. Uh it was just you could tell it was the moment it sunk in. I'm yeah. not gonna be an NBA champion this year. Yes. All the hopes and expectations that have build, been building this whole playoff run. Uh, I know your question was a bit in jest, but I think one booker is a classy enough guy to just be happy for them and congratulate them. And second, I think the kind of player he's aspiring to be learns from this experience and becomes better. There was a, he had a chance with about a minute left. They ran a play. He cut across and got like as an open a three as you could ask for Mm -hmm. against a a team as good defensively as Milwaukee. And he missed it. And that was it. I imagine that, yeah, that was the play where. Yeah, it was over. If he hit that and they got a stop, they had a real chance. Mm-hmm. But he, their best shooter missed a pretty open three, and I think that's the moment that uh, will yeah. live in his head. And I think that will make him a better player. Yeah. Well, uh, I feel like an Olympic gold medal would would lessen the sting of missing out on an NBA championship. So uh, we'll see what happens. Basically, next. prescribed therapy. With, yeah, uh, the U.S.'s chances to take it. <laughs> All right, we're going to do one more quick basketball topic here. The NBA draft is a week almost to the minute. Uh, the draft will be starting, I believe it'll be 8 p.m. Uh, next Thursday. And lots of storylines to go into. I have a feeling that we'll get to those on Sunday. I would like to do my mock. I'll go lottery, so top 15 on Sunday. Um, I can put that together and, and we'll record around the time that the draft is going on. So maybe some live reaction there. Um, and it'll be good. 
I don't, I forget because we, we just started recording around the 2020 draft when that happened. So we've made it through an entire NBA season now, which is cool. Um, and, and NHL season, but we'll see how that goes. And, and the storyline I wanted to talk about tonight, cause it's gotten some buzz is the rise of Scotty Barnes up the leaderboard. And, and I mentioned him very briefly a couple times when I was doing my prospect analysis earlier on in the season um, out of Florida state, he is a guard with the size of a wing. So uh, you're looking at like a, a Draymond green type with maybe even a little bit more ball skills, like a guy who would actually run your offense from the guard position and, but plays the defense and has the size of a Draymond green. That's kind of the, what people are projecting him to be. And, and I think there is potential upside for his jump shot too. Uh, so obviously a really, really exciting talent, right? It's always people love size uh, in NBA front offices. Um, and it looks like that he's climbing up the leaderboards and the Raptors do have serious interest in taking him at four instead of Jalen Suggs. Um, so a story to fall definitely, but we'll dive a little bit more into it on Sunday and we'll see what actually goes down. Uh, I, I'm looking for it, forward to it, uh, but that's going to be it for NBA storylines for this one. We'll take a quick break and come back for some combat corner. And we're back for some combat corner. Max, my friend. I'll throw it over to you right away. Yeah, to start off, we've got our UFC Fight Night preview. A couple of fights on the main card I want to talk about. Real quick, I'm going to start off with the main event as TJ Dillashaw makes his return from a USADA doping violation suspension of two years to face Corey Santagon. Um, this is going to be a really interesting test for both fighters. A lot of questions about the doping, so I'll just say at the start, I TJ Dillashaw caught for EPO, which is, from my understanding, one of the harder things to catch as it leaves the system quite quickly. So the chances of, of it's very possible and probably common for play, fighters to take it. And just whatever their doping cycle is, USADA has a pretty low chance of getting it. Dillashaw says he only took it for the one fight he got caught on because he was dropping down to flyweight. It's a very notable thing that um, Cody Garbrandt accused TJ of taking EPO years before he got caught. And secondly, if you watch Dillashaw's fight with Cruz, he shows insane cardio in that one and is the entire fight throwing really vicious head and leg kicks and punches where he misses and but he swings 110% at air every time which does tend to gas you more than swinging and landing okay that said I won't say any more on it to the fight itself Corey Sandhagen has for the most part been a top level bantamweight that has gotten through most of his fights in spectacular and dominant fashion save one uh so he has this rise to the top he has a chance to fight for the chance to fight for the title against aljamain sterling aljamain just wrestles him right out the gates gets on top gets his back tricks him with a sneaky left hand joke and it's like a minute long fight 
total domination by Aljamain Sterling. Since then, he had a beautiful spinning head kick second round knockout of Marlon Marias and a really quick 30-second flying knee against Frankie Edgar, both highlight reel finishes in showtime fashion that just showed off his striking excellence. So, but... Marlon Marias on the downswing. Frankie Edgar, pretty old. The main name I think can think of before the Aljo Sterling fight was Rafael Sunsau. I put Aljamain Sterling at a level above all those guys. So the question is, is Corey Sandhagen since that loss taken his skills to the next level, to that level that they clearly weren't in the Aljo fight and by skills, I really mean the grappling defense and the ability to rack, react to that really intense, really quick, right out the gate pressure. I don't think that's quite TJ Dillashaw's style, but it is just as relentless in his own way. Uh, able to mix it up much more, obviously, a very great striker, kickboxer, the head kick and the punches knockout against Cody Garbrandt, but he can also wrestle as well. So you've got to assume he's going to test the wrestling defense of Santagon at one point, and it should be all the more threatening with the striking threat mixed in. So just hanging with Dillashaw should be a test and a challenge, a new level for Santagon to set his striking on. If he can land something flashy to knock out Dillashaw, oh my god. And you also expect while striking at that level, he's going to have to think wrestling defense as well. And our first time seeing TJ Dillashaw in the cage in well over two years. That last fight, of course, being a 30-second knockout loss to Henry Cejudo. And the fight before that, a knockout I almost want to say you or I could land where his opponent threw the same strike three times in a row. And on the third one where Dillashaw knocked him out, it was like, dude, come on, you're really trying that same hook again. I'm kidding, but only mostly. So it's been a long time since we've seen Dillashaw in a high level tested back and forth fight. Cardio questions, questions about what he's been training doing these last two years has he taken another step forward you've got to think there should be a break from the wear and tear and that the body should be in better state although maybe it won't be in a better state than uh yeah i can't just leave the doping questions at the front of this segment but point made i've said enough on that fight moving on to the co-main event macy chasen taking on Aspen Ladd, probably two of the highest rated bantamweight prospects, if there are any. Both have had setbacks within the last couple fights, shown a lot of promise at times, and both back on the right track now, looking to fast track their way to a title shot in a pretty thin division other than Misha Tate, which I don't think I've talked about. Um, There's it's not a stretch of the imagination to say whoever wins this fight will be one or two wins away from bantamweight title shot pretty classic striker versus grappler matchup both can be pretty sloppy in the other's world so that's going to be really interesting i was really shocked to see how much of a favorite 
Aspen Ladd was. I think she's minus 200 to Chasen's plus 170, which kind of shocked me. And I need to look into Canadian single sports betting because that seems like really easy money to me. I'm not saying I'm certain Chasen's going to win. Ladd could, of course, knock her out. But I think this is a 50-50 fight where... If Ladd can use her footwork, has the strength in the clinch and the cage control, she can dominate on the feet and probably knocks Jason out. But if Jason has the athleticism, the relentlessness, the pressure, she can doggedly wear Ladd down. And once she gets her down, I imagine the fight probably stays there. So if you're American and you're listening to this, it's way easier for you to put money on fights. I very highly would recommend chasing that plus 170 but an interesting i always love striker grappler matchups and some title shot stakes so a solid co-main event then the last fight i wanted to talk about also a women's matchup between macy barber and miranda maverick macy barber on a two-fight skid all the hype gone at, right at this point after her last loss just beaten everywhere uh, against a technically sound striker she really struggled to get her own striking going and did a lot of fainting punching at air and really couldn't show anything impressive all that hype i don't for me at least is behind miranda maverick right now two fights into her ufc career absolutely dominated jillian robertson in her last fight this is a girl that can strike that can grapple that is athletic that is young does it all at a pretty high pace smart fighting iq everything not in the same knockout threat way but everything barber looked to be as this young next thing in the division could imagine this girl in the top three top five in relatively short time i now see for maverick so i think an interesting chance for barber to regain all that momentum against maverick but more likely than not an opportunity for maverick to really push barber farther into the dirt and announce her own coming out i don't know how highly the rest of the mma world rates a win over Jillian Robertson or have caught on to Maverick's skill set yet, but this girl's the complete package and Macy Barber has enough name recognition that I think a dominant win for Maverick here really helps put her on the radar and gets her into that top 10 and we'd see her in that top five soon. So definitely got my eye on this one. All right, that's going to wrap up the fight preview segment of this combat corner real quick just wanted to talk about something else interesting in the mma world eric mcgracken a guy mma lawyer on twitter who just likes to exercise his legal curiosity and writes an interesting blog um, has been following up with the announcement of a one championship fight happening in Colorado has been in touch with the Colorado jurisdiction. I'm reading from his blog now, uh, just summarizing, essentially he's saying that the one championship event in Colorado will take place under the one championship rules. The biggest difference between those rules and the rules the UFC operates under are knees to grounded opponents' heads which really changes everything about the ground game. And I'm pretty open to the argument that it's for the better. It, side control has become a really 
disadvantageous position where you see most guys preferring half guard to it. And I think knees to the head would swing the momentum back in favor of the offensive fighter on top where the defensive fighter on the bottom still has a good chance to get up, but they have to do it very carefully to watch out for the knees as well. You see some, a lot of times guys will use the fact that punches, well, knees can't go to the back of the head either, but that punches have to land around the ears to their advantage defensively and will shell up and present the back of their head so blatantly as like a, nah, nah, you can't hit me here and I'm going to cover here so you can do nothing even though I'm completely vulnerable to you. And the reason that's successful is because one punch to the side of the head is not going to knock out an unconcussed fighter most of the time, whereas one knee in that position very much could. So I, I hate that position. I hate when it's used defensively for too long. So I like knees as a way to swing the power dynamic there so that'll be really interesting to see i don't think everything's completely official on that yet but worth keeping an eye on that's all for this combat corner reminiscent of an old one i think owen's gonna go football now sure why not this is gonna be a quick drive-by on our way to the expansion draft uh city just a quick pit stop um cam Akers, the most likely number one running back for the Los Angeles Rams is done for the season with an Achilles injury. Um, the, the angle I took on this, that was interesting. I saw a couple of charts showing injury luck over the last couple of seasons in the NFL. So uh, games missed to injury and the wins above replacement of those players who are missing games and, and LA uh, or the Rams had the lowest by far out of any team. So just interesting to see that everything generally regresses to the mean at some point. Um, which could be some really good news for teams like the Chargers, who always seem to have injuries. Uh, so maybe the LA teams are swapping out injury luck for this upcoming season. Um, and and that's it's a tough one because Cam Akers really emerged halfway through last season as a great option for that Rams team. They had a triple-headed running attack, and um, they were really excited to see what they could do this year with Matthew Stafford now as the starting quarterback and unlocking all the potential of, of Sean McVay's offense, but not to be. So uh, we have our, we'll send our best wishes to Cam Akers on his recovery and we'll uh, continue on to the expansion draft, but we'll take a quick break before that. And we're back sports next door, myself, Max with me, Owen talking hockey. We got eight minutes to bang out all the thoughts we have on the Seattle expansion draft. So Owen, biggest surprise of the draft go. And Let's biggest go. expectation fulfilled. Yeah. Um, the approach that they took ended up being very similar to that of Vegas, which I um, understood immediately. And, and uh, I'm a little bit upset with myself that I didn't take the same approach when we were doing the mock. They loaded up on defensemen, uh, a lot of great young defensemen here. And then Mark Giordano, of course, as the captain for this team, most likely he was out on the stage in the Jersey rocking it. It was pretty cool to see. Um, and, and a lot of solid goaltending. So what I would say is the biggest surprise for me is that they did not go with Capo Kakinen from the Minnesota wild as their pick. There could be a side deal there. We still don't know much about the side deals, uh, but they did get Drieger, uh, Decord and Vanacek as their three, which are really solid young guys. Um, 
but I think Kakinen was the the marquee pick there for that a lot of people had, and and I was surprised that Seattle didn't go there. But they did see that defense and goaltending were the most valuable, and and they decided to take a lot of those guys. Yeah, for me, the biggest non-surprise, Mason Appleton. At coming, or just that was the player that was like, come on, you have to take him. Um, the I, It's not really a surprise in hindsight. They didn't go with Carey Price. I, I think expectations and the value of Price probably at an all-time high after that playoff run and realistically a bit unrealistic value. So a sober second thought kind of makes a lot more sense. And what their drafting approach said to me was like a really risk-free, keep the cap as low as they can. Don't get yourself into any contracts you're going to regret and potentially have trouble with. So like not rolling on like a Taro Sanko, a Ryan Johansson, a Jacob Voracek, guys, they had the cap space that they could have taken, not, rolling the dice of on any of those guys just says to me looking for flexibility looking for openness i it does seem like a disappointing haul compared to some of the players that were available there so i'm also curious to see what kind of assets they get and if they can bundle that into some players maybe they're more interested in taking but yeah i'm really curious to see if lightning strikes twice because off the first glance this does not look like a roster that should really even oh i'm second guessing myself as i'm saying it but looking so, at this roster it's hard to imagine them cracking the playoffs this come- yeah it, it the, the vegas thing did seem like such an anomaly right generally expansion teams don't have a high level of success. Now there were factors playing for Vegas and those same factors exist for Seattle. The expansion draft is pretty um, in favor of the team making expansion picks, but I think overall, usually expansion teams just, they don't have the same success that Vegas does. This team is not going to be fun to play against. They really went for um, specific types of players. Of course, Eberle, Gord, Donskoy, Tanev, uh, Yarn Croak, Appleton, all those guys are not fun to play against. They're high energy guys. Um, they're not necessarily top, top elite talent, but they're not fun to play up, play against and go up against. And then of course, um, they've got a massive decor. Like there's some big guys on this team. Of course, you got Mark Giordano, who's really, really solid, but then Jamie Alexiak, I think he's the biggest player in the year or in the league now, if if Chara retires at six seven two fifty five. Um, and then you've got Adam Larson, Carson Soucy, uh, Jeremy Lazan, like some big guys. And, and then you've got on the non-roster, Alexander True. Um, and, and it's just, it's a big team. And they're not going to be fun to play against. And if they get some solid goaltending, I think they could be a plucky team that you could see chasing a, one of those bottom seeds. The thing is, is this Pacific division that they're in is going to be weak and we'll get to projections once we get around through the off season, but it doesn't look like a super strong division. I think Edmonton and uh, I guess it would be Vegas would be the two top teams in that division. Um, but besides that, it's the three LA teams and then like Calgary and Vancouver and nothing really stands out there. So Seattle's definitely got a shot and 
yeah, they just went with a team that's not fun to play against. We'll see what the side deals end up being. They've got the second pick in the draft, um, and they did go young with some of their guys. Uh, so we'll be fascinating to see which which one of these guys who people are going, who is he, why'd they pick him, ends up having a solid season like we saw from a William Carlson or, or any of a couple others that stood out for Vegas there. My money would be on uh, Cali Young Crook if I had to say right now. So the one that came up for me was Morgan Geeky, uh, the player they took from Carolina. Um, I've learned that he's had some excellent success in juniors and then in the AHL, he's been a, a high quality offensive player. So maybe a guy you stick on your second or third line and end up scoring a couple of goals for you. Um, and then my other pick would be Appleton. I think he could have a really solid role on this team. Yeah. These are going to be some fun, speedy, lines with some goal scoring pluck I, definitely going to be a fun team to watch yes and we're looking forward to it october 23rd will be their home opener against the uh the vancouver canucks and then i believe their season opener is against the vegas golden knights on october 12th so looking forward to those the last thing here we're really short on time but i just wanted to talk about the leafs um and the oilers are going to most likely be signing Zach Hyman uh, in the upcoming days whenever the uh, moratorium is listed, lifted on trades. And I think free agency starts on the 28th, so next Wednesday. Um, it's either a seven-year deal worth $40 million or an eight-year deal worth $40 million. If it's the eighth-year de- deal, then something is going back to Toronto in the sign-and-trade. And the reason Edmonton would do that is to ensure that they get his rights because technically is an unrestricted free agent. And so if you're only offering him seven, another team could come in and outbid you. But then if you're doing the sign and trade, you're guaranteed the the player. Um, Again, from the business side, the Leafs get out from a, on a contract, a, they couldn't afford and B, I think it's just not going to be a great contract six, seven, eight years from now with the style of hockey that he plays. But then, of course, I'm really going to miss Zach. So I wish him all the best, unless he's playing the Leafs. And um, great guy. I'm sorry to see him go. Yeah, happy for to see Zach get paid. Eight years, that's a long time. He's going to be making a lot of money, but not a contract I'd be happy if I saw the Leafs sign. So it sucks to lose what he brings to the team over the next couple of years, but definitely the right call. That is going to be all for this episode. We are going to wrap up now. Thank you to everyone for listening. Enjoy your weekends. Sports Next Door signing out.